We are in the book of Acts, and we are in Acts chapter 21. Today we will be looking at verses 18 through 26. I'll give you a minute to find that in your Bibles. Acts chapter 21, verses 18 through 26. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Thus sends our reading of God's inerrant word. May all who hear it have their hearts humbled. Now, some of you already know this about me, but I like to play board games, but not just any board games, but board games that take skill, that take strategy, that board games that take a lot of thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you see, games like Monopoly and Sorry, they just don't do it for me. I'd rather play Settlers of Catan or Villainous or Carcassonne, something that isn't the same thing every time. Something where I have to use my brain. And yet when my daughters were really, really young, we couldn't play games like that. Instead, we would play games like Candyland or Guess Who and even Pretty Pretty Princess. Can, can you picture me wearing a, a light blue tiara and with matching earrings? It happened. <laughs> but, but why did I play those games if I really didn't find them that compelling? <laughs> because they were at the maturity level that my daughters were at, right? That my little girls were at. And this is what all parents do, is it not? They, they condescend to things that are immature in order to foster relationship with their children. It's a mother cooing and speaking gibberish to her newborn. 
It's a father playing with toy cars with his son. It's not about their own pleasure. Rather, it's about seeing that smile on the face of their little one. And there are many times within the church where we must take a similar attitude. Where a mature believer must give way to the needs of the immature believer. And no more is this exemplified than in our account for today. Let me set the stage for you. The Apostle Paul had finished his third missionary journey and he had finally reached Jerusalem. If you remember, it was the Holy Spirit who, who had constrained Paul to travel to this city, even though the Spirit had told him that imprisonment and afflictions awaited him there. But not only that, but it seemed like at every stop along the way, the Christians in those cities were pleading with Paul not to go. They knew that nothing but trouble awaited him, and so they were, they were begging him to change his mind. And yet it was the Lord's will for Paul to suffer for his name. And Paul was willing to suffer. He was willing not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And now here he was in the city of David, and he had finally arrived to that destination. And it wouldn't be long before these afflictions, before this imprisonment would come his way. And yet before the enemies of the gospel would lay their hands upon him, Paul had an opportunity to visit the elders within the church of Jerusalem. He he would meet with James and with these other men in order that he might give to them his missionary report, right? And it would be in this interaction that Paul would face another challenge. For rumors were afoot. Rumors that were threatening the unity within the church. And it would take an act of humility to solve this issue. And we see this, this humble humbleness in the nine verses that are laid before us. And in fact, it comes to us in, in four different stages. First, in, in verses 18 through 20, we, we, see, that, we see it in a, in a humble report. Then in verses 21 through 22, we see it in a humble ear. After that, in verses 23 through 25, we see it in a humble heart. And finally, in verse 26, we see it in a humble deed. And the reason we see such humbleness is in this man, in the Apostle Paul, is because the gospel of Jesus Christ had gripped Paul's heart. And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that leads us to humility. Let me say that again. The gospel of Jesus Christ leads to humility. Let's see how this plays out. Look, look at verses 18 through 20. A humble report. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and to all the elders, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. 
Now it had been roughly five years since Paul had last seen the members of this church. And so he had a lot to report on, right? And, and this was why he was now before James and all of these elders. Paul wanted to communicate to, to all the believers the things that God was doing throughout the Roman world. And so it would be these elders who would relay Paul's message to the rest of the church in Jerusalem. And what was Paul's message? Luke tells us he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. During the past five years, God had been moving greatly, particularly in the city of Ephesus, as well as the surrounding areas in Asia Minor. If you recall, the gospel was actually having such an impact that it even affected the, the economics of that region. I mean, that was why the riot broke out in Ephesus, right? For the sales of the idols to the goddess of Artemis had dropped significantly. And, and considering that Ephesus was a city with a population of a quarter of a million people, that was no easy task. There would have had to have been thousands upon thousands of new converts to the Christian faith. And so there was much that Paul could boast about. Being a former missionary myself, I, I know what it is like to, to give a missionary report to a sending church. There, there is always a lot of pressure to, to bring good news, right? People want to hear about salvations. People want to hear about the growth of the church. And to be honest, I would have, I would have loved to have given the report that Paul gave in this passage. And yet, missionary work is often filled with times of seemingly little, little to no movement. There are long stretches where, even though the gospel is being proclaimed, it, it seems like as, as if nothing is happening at all. There are no converts, and, and perhaps even the, the previous converts are struggling in their faith. And yet somehow you have to go before that church and give some kind of report. And so what are you supposed to say? Let me tell you, <laughs> there, there, there is a great temptation to give a false report, right? I mean, they're not in Thailand. How would they know? <laughs> but, and, and that temptation is real. And why is that temptation real? Because you don't want to be seen as a failure, right? You, you don't want people to think that, that you aren't any good at this missionary work. Plus, they're the ones who are funding your mission, right? And people like to see a return on their investments. But then there are other times when things are going really, really well. And you can't wait to give a report. People are coming to Christ, the church is growing. And yet often when, when giving a report like that, what can be our motivation for, for sharing such good news? Our own self-validation, right? And that was me back then, right? I wanted to believe that I was doing a good job. I wanted everyone else to think that as well. 
You see, whether, whether my report was bad or whether my report was good, I, I was always looking to prove myself. Both scenarios were driven by pride. And that's because my thinking concerning the kingdom of God was off. For the reasoning that was in my head was this assumption that God's kingdom grows by human effort. Now notice how the Apostle Paul gave his report. He related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. You see, Paul didn't claim that that he was the one who was responsible for all these great things. No, rather he viewed this kingdom growth as being accomplished by God even though it was through his ministry. Paul recognized that he was just a vessel, a vessel that God had been using to bring about his work of salvation, his work of rescuing people. You know, Paul, he wasn't up there telling telling these elders about the latest church growth strategy that if you implement, you'll be guaranteed to see this many converts in such and such time. No. Rather, Paul recognized that any kingdom growth is a work of the Spirit, and that all that he did was bore witness to Jesus Christ and to his saving grace. And notice as well how, how James and these elders responded to Paul's account. And what does Luke tell us? And when they heard it, they glorified God. They glorified God, not Paul, right? These men understood that that one man plants, another man waters, but it is God who gives the growth. And this is the same attitude that we need to develop here at New Hope Church. We shouldn't be driven by numbers. Rather, we should be driven by faithfulness. Faithfulness to God's word and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the numbers do come, if they do come, if God chooses to bless us in that way, we are not to praise men. Rather, all glory should be given to him. And that's because there's nothing special or unique about us. Right? Rather, it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that people are one to Jesus. Well, Paul wasn't the only one who would give a good report that day. For even these elders had seen God's growth within the city of Jerusalem. Look at, look at the end of verse 20. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed... They are all zealous for the law. And so they too had, had great news for the, the church within Jerusalem had grown as well. Jesus had brought in thousands of more Jews into his kingdom. And so we see that the Holy Spirit was moving greatly throughout the face of the earth. In Ephesus and in Jerusalem and I'm sure in other parts of the world as well. 
And this was all in fulfillment to, to Jesus' commission that he had given to his disciples. Remember when we started the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what does it say? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so the gospel, it, it, it truly was going out to the ends of the earth. It had reached Jerusalem, and it had reached Ephesus, and it was going even further. And yet, even in this commissioning that Jesus gave to his disciples, he lets us know that it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that these things get accomplished. Let me ask you, when, when, when God chooses to bless New Hope Church, who are we going to give the credit to? I hope it's him. Don't give any praises to me. Don't give any praises to an evangelist. Don't give, it's not going to be due to these new t-shirts that we printed out, right? Our, our very strong advertising campaign that we have out there. No. All the credit needs to go to God alone. It was by the power of the Holy Spirit that both Paul's ministry and ministry within Jerusalem were seeing success. But did you notice how these elders added in one more detail to the end of their report? That these new believers were all zealous for the law? Now this may seem like a strange comment to add, but there's a specific reason that they mentioned this. And, and Paul would need a humble ear in order to listen to what came next. Look, look at verses 21 and 22. And, and they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Now, when Paul arrived in Jerusalem, it was during the Feast of Pentecost. And that meant that Jerusalem had many, many visitors who would have been in that city at that time. Including a number of people, a number of diaspora Jews. Or Jews who were born outside of Israel. Jews who were living in cities such as Thessalonica and Corinth and Ephesus. And these men, they would have traveled to Jerusalem in order to worship, in order to celebrate. And yet many of them, many of these same Jews, would have been the exact same men who had had run-ins with the Apostle Paul in the past. And now that they were in Jerusalem, they were spreading rumors about this man. And there were basically three accusations that they were throwing out there, right? One... That, that, that he teaches the Jews to forsake Moses, or really to forsake the Mosaic law, right? Two, that, that Paul teaches them not to circumcise their children. And finally, three, that the, that the Jews should no longer walk according to their customs. So these are the accusations 
the claims that these men were making regarding the Apostle Paul. And the question that we must ask is this, were these accusations accurate? Were they true? Was there any legitimacy to what they were saying? Well, let's consider what we know about Paul, not only from the book of Acts, but from his letters as well. Let's, let's take these accusations and let us see if they held any merit. First, the charge that Paul taught, taught the Jews that they should forsake the Mosaic law. How did Paul bring the gospel to the Jews? Do you guys remember? When he would preach in the synagogues, what did he do? He, he, would, he would use the Old Testament scriptures in order to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. That they were prophesying about him. And so we know that Paul held the Old Testament as the word of God. But more than that, consider Paul's words from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20. Paul says this, To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. And so we see that Paul didn't have any problem with placing himself under the law though he had no obligation to do so. Or, or consider these words from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing in Seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And so we see that Paul had a very high view of God's law. He saw it as holy and righteous and good. And thus this first charge that was made against him was without merit. But what about the second charge that, that, that Paul taught these Jews not to circumcise their children? Again, we, we see no credibility to this charge. Yes, Paul taught this to the Gentile converts, but this was what was agreed upon by the Jerusalem council. And yet when it came to the Jews, he, he taught no such thing. In fact, earlier in the book of Acts, if you remember, we, we see Paul doing the exact opposite. I mean, consider the account when, when Paul met Timothy in Lystra. Look at, look at Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a, of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. 
He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And so Paul had Timothy circumcised. Now, now to me, that doesn't sound like a man who, who would be teaching Jews to avoid circumcision. Now, does it? But how about accusation number three? The charge that he taught the Jews that they should no longer walk according to their customs. This, too, we, we find to be meritless, as at the end of Paul's second missionary journey, if you, if you recall, he himself had made a Nazareth vow following the customs of his people. Look at Acts chapter 18, verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centrea, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And, and so we see that Paul himself, a, a, a Jewish Christian, still followed many of the customs of his Jewish ancestry as he was under a Nazareth vow. Here's the thing. While the law is good, it doesn't have the power to save. Circumcision can't save you, and neither can any customs that we choose to follow. And that is the heart of the gospel message. Only Jesus can rescue you from your sins. But just because these things don't save us, that doesn't mean that they should never be practiced. Rather, there is freedom in Christ. And it is freedom that Paul preached. Now, now what Paul could have done at this moment was to make the very same arguments that I just made and probably even further arguments in order to defend himself. But that's not what Paul did, is it? Instead, what did he do? He, he simply stood there humbly and listened. He, he trusted that these men, that these elders of the church were not swayed by rumors that they knew Paul's life as well as his teachings. And that was why he could listen to these accounts without getting defensive. He, he understood that, that they were not coming, that these charges were not coming from these men, but from the very Jews who had caused his life havoc in the province of Galatia and Asia and Macedonia, Achaia. They were coming from these other men. The elders were just relaying the message. This is what's being said of you. What are we to do? Listen, I, I'm willing to bet that we have all at one time or another been the victim of rumors. That at some point in your life, unwanted gossip caused your reputation to take a hit. <clears throat> And yet the question I pose is this. How did you react when those rumors spread? What was your first instinct? 
when your name was disgraced? Did you become defensive and want to fight back? Did, did you want to lay out a, a, a three-stage defense that I just laid out for Paul, for yourself? Or did you actually try to listen? You know, sometimes rumors can be true. Not, not that gossip should be condoned, but sometimes a little introspection never hurts. And yet, even when the gossip is full of lies, having a, a humble ear to listen can actually make for a better defense than, than tr- simply just trying to shut it down. Because when you actually listen, you, you can actually better understand where your opponents are coming from, what's in their heart. Proverbs 29, verse 11 says this. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Or consider these words from James. Look at at James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so wisdom comes from listening, but it takes a humble ear to do so. And yet one of the best ways to quell vicious lies is by actively demonstrating the truth. And that is the advice that these elders would give to Paul in our next three verses. And Paul would need a humble heart on his part to consider the words of these men. Let's take a look at what they said. Look at verses 23 through 25. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. And so just as Paul had done before, we, here we see these four men who were under a Nazareth vow. And so the suggestion that the elders make is that, that Paul should purify himself, go with these men as they finish off these vows by cutting and burning their hair and offering sacrifices at the temple. But not only that, but that, but that Paul should pay for their expenses and a demonstration of his favor toward such a custom. And this meant that Paul would have to purchase four-year-old male lambs, as well as four-year-old ewe lambs, as well as four rams, as prescribed in God's word. Not to mention the grain offerings and the drink offerings as well. All in all, this was going to be an expensive ordeal for the Apostle Paul. And yet the hope of these elders was that by Paul doing this, 
that he would ingratiate himself to these new Jewish converts who were hearing these rumors about this apostle named Paul. Now, now pause and, and, and take a moment to think about this situation. These men, though they were elders within the church, they were addressing the apostle Paul. Technically speaking, Paul had authority over them. And yet these men had no issue with giving this command to this apostle. And what did they say? Do therefore what we tell you. Now how could they be so bold? It's because the flavor of leadership in the church has a different taste than the flavor of leadership in the world. Look at Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In the kingdom of God, holding a position of authority is more about serving than it is about telling people what to do. And that's because the example that was given to us by our king is of one who had given his life for his people. And now, now it is in this vein that even a man like the Apostle Paul, this man who had the highest authority within the church, not even he was above receiving advice. And that's why when these elders gave the command to him, they didn't hesitate for one second. For they knew Paul's heart, that he didn't lord his, his position over them. I know that in many churches in America, there can be a, a nervousness and even a reluctance among some when it comes to, to making suggestions to a pastor, right? But that's not how it should be in God's kingdom. Pastors are not to be overbearing, and the parishioner's voice is to be heard. And my hope is that here at New Hope Church that, that, that no one will ever feel that I or one of the elders are unapproachable. For, for if, the, if the Apostle Paul had a humble enough heart to listen to the voices of these elders, then who am I? Right? I should be able to listen to your voices. And so should all of our elders. Let's, let's finish off our passage. Let's, let's look at our last verse and see Paul's humble deed, his humble deed in response to the elder's command. Look at verse 26. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled 
and the offering presented for each one of them. The Apostle Paul carried out the commands of these elders. Again, think about this. Paul was an apostle. He, he was one of the men whom Jesus had placed in charge of his church. He did not need to listen to these elders. And yet he saw wisdom in what they said, and so he submitted. But why did he submit? In all honesty, he, he had nothing to prove to anyone. And he was under no obligation to do these things. So why did he even care what these new Jewish Christians thought of him? It wasn't so much about his reputation that he cared about. Rather, he, he cared about the reputation of the church. As well as the reputation of the gospel message. He, he desired unity among God's people. And so he would give way, even though he was an apostle, in order to appease the weaker brother. Look at Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 19. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And that's just it. The Apostle Paul was pursuing what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. That, that was why he, he, he went with these four men as they were finishing off their Nazareth vow. He did so out of his love for the weaker brother. He, he didn't want to put a stumbling block in their way. It's like, it's like that father who plays Candyland with his four-year-old daughter. He stoops down to her level until she is mature enough to play something a bit more complicated, like Settlers of Catan. Paul was looking for unity within the church. And if that meant purifying himself and helping these four men fulfill their Nazareth vow, then so be it. He, he would set his pride to the side and, and he would demonstrate to these new converts that he also had a zeal for the law. And he would do so until they became mature enough to realize that there is freedom in Jesus Christ. And that everything that they truly need can be found in him. 
Let me ask you, what are, what are the freedoms in Christ that God is calling you to set aside for the sake of your weaker brothers and sisters in Christ? Perhaps it is a conviction you hold concerning how to raise children. Are you going to place that standard that you have and hold it up against another who happens to be raising their children differently? Of course not. And yet in the same breath, when, when the child of those other parents comes over to play with your child, what is the loving thing to do? It is to ask those parents what they do and do not allow their children to do. And then conform your way of life to those standards while their children are in your care. Or it could be that you have a different view on drinking on the drinking of alcohol, right? You might believe that there is freedom in Christ to partake, and yet another brother believes that it is a bad witness. So what are you to do? I tell you what Paul would have done. He would refrain from drinking alcohol when he was around those who held such a conviction. He would not put a stumbling block before his brother. And there are many, many more ways that, that these things can manifest themselves in our Christian life. And yet the key principle to remember is humility. Is to be humble. To put the other person before yourself. After all, that is what the Christian life is founded upon. Look, look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Like I said before, the gospel of Jesus Christ leads to humility. I mean, think about what Paul had just written here. The God who created the whole universe humbled himself by taking upon human flesh and then dying an unjust death upon a cross. 
and why? All for the sake of us, his immature children. He rescued us by humbling himself. And now he is calling upon you to have this same humble attitude. Just like Jesus, you are to set aside your pride. You are to put your brothers and your sisters ahead of yourselves. You are to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Dear friends, God is asking you to let go of your pride and follow the path that your king has set out before you. So let us give that humble report and let us have humble ears and let us develop a humble heart and then let us do humble deeds. Let us become a humble church. Let's bow our heads. Father, we are so, so grateful for your son, Jesus Christ. For this one who humbled himself more than any, any other. For without him, we would have no hope. And so we ask you now that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit in order that we might take the lowly position, the position of submitting to our brothers and sisters in Christ for their sake. We need your help, God. We can't do this on our own. We need your strength. May all glory go to you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name.